0: Um, is found in, the, in this Bible, uh, you, which take as a gift. If you don't have one, please feel free. It's on page 984, Colossians 2, 6 through 15. It Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thanks, Rob. I'm always Jordan. Always makes this like he must be buff. That is heavy. He always just acts like it's no big deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you, Rob. Um, Yeah. So this passage—it's kind of uh, miffed me this week, this the week before um, on what to say about it. It's so rich, so deep, um, and when when uh, paul's addressing the people at at Colossae the Colossians the the funny thing is is i think we would be tempted to say well these these things come in you know like like self-esteem you know when that starts to get mixed in with the gospel it can get really weird you know and you start to read books that tell you to wash your face instead of wash yourself in jesus or or other things like, uh, you know, the social justice movement, that tell you, like, vocalize your morals more than anything else and vocalize your new morals. Um, but, but actually, Paul's, Paul's response to these things is not to, to go and tell them new things, but to point them back to the dad-burn gospel, man. Like, it, it's, not to, it's not to say, well, here, you, well, since this has come up, now you need this or that. It's to say, <laughs> remember... Remember who you are. And I, I really appreciate that Rob read the scripture this morning because um, in my life, I've never had a person like remind me more of who I am. Like when, when I mess up, I'm tempted to think like I'm a no good, dirty, rotten loser. And, and Rob looks me square in the face and says, No, you, you're more than a conqueror. Like you are not the old self. By faith, you're you're now made new in Christ. And it's with that spirit, um, I'm gonna, Paul doesn't answer, you know, things with jargon. Paul answers it with doctrine. And I'm not gonna hide the doctrine from you this morning because I thought maybe I could make it look good and sound good, but I'm just gonna give it to you. And there's two major doctrines here that I see. And one is baptism, obviously. And the other one is union with Christ. And here's what John Calvin says about union with Christ. He said, It is of the highest degree of importance in the Christian life. For this is the design of the gospel, that Christ may become ours and that we may be engrafted into his body. Puritan John Murray wrote, It's the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. You're like, whoa, whoa. Some of us might not even have heard this before we walked in this morning. The Union with Christ and here's the way we we sang a song this morning um, of how we as evangelicals tend to to speak of our salvation as we got saved, right like and it's true. Like, we're, we're both saved from the wrath of God, and we're saved to Christ. That's what that means, both of those things. Um, and that is good and right. But the way that the New Testament speaks mainly of our union with Christ, having been united with Him, it says we're made new. We're believers who are created in Christ. We've been crucified, buried, and baptized into Christ to his death and united with him in his resurrection and we've been seated with him in the heavenly places the church is the body of christ christ in believers believers in christ the church is one flesh with christ aka the church is married to jesus believers gain christ and are found in him So the call call of the gospel this morning is not to come to Christ and start doing these things or start listening to these things. Rather, the call of the gospel this morning is come to Jesus because Jesus is enough. And the second doctrine this morning is baptism. And uh, I'd already said it to someone this morning. I think it was Stacy, and I was like, man, like you read this passage, and I think... Paul makes a bigger deal out of the Lord's Supper and baptism than I do, because I'm tempted. And, and if you look back, maybe this week read Romans six and compare Colossians two and Romans six, and you'd see um, that that though in in your baptism you're not regenerated, you're you're not. Made new in any way, but it's a, it's a thing that that God does to His people um, is that He washes them in water, and it, it's an experiential thing where where you go through it, and by that you're, you're now it's your rights into the church. But but by that, you know, we remember. Oh yeah, that that old me was buried in that water. Um, and if you start connecting um, biblical doctrine here, you see that man with. When Noah built the ark, like, what cleansed the world? Water. All the bad sin that made God cleanse the world was left in that water. And then he promised to never do that again. And then, and then you keep connecting the trail, and um, there's more. There's a couple more that I'm not going to mention, but these are just the, the main obvious ones. You, you walk that through, and then you see... Um, when, when God saves his people out of slavery in Egypt, they come up and they're like, hey, you, you've brought us this far. And all of a sudden, like their, their enemies have encamped them and they're on like a, basically a peninsula is what it feels like. And they're coming down the peninsula and their enemies and they're like, God, what do we do? And what does he bring them through? Water. And to the other side, they go, and then what does he do to their enemies? Swallows them up. And what we never mention in the story of the Red Sea is if, if the Israelites, the people of God, God's elect, if, if they were looking back, what did they see in the water? There's a whole lot of dead dudes and horses and chariots. Like that would have had a profound impact on those people. And it should have, Right? But then you see a couple months later, they're like, wow, I wish God would have just left us in Egypt. I'm like, man, that's me. You can ask my wife. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so here's, here's a, uh, what Marcus Johnson, theologian, said about baptism. He says, In the waters of baptism, God impresses upon our bodies the truth and reality of our incorporation into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the living Christ. Baptism, in other words, is a visible and tangible experience of the exceedingly good news that we have been crucified in Christ's death and raised to new life in Christ's resurrection. Baptism is the sacrament or the mystery of our new, crucified, and resurrected identity in Jesus Christ. Baptism is the gospel in water, allowing us to experience in our bodies the truth that we are immersed forever into Jesus Christ and it's with that I want to encourage you um, if you've never followed in believers baptism I want to encourage you to ask J- Jacob about it this morning um, or, or anyone online like shoot an email to jbird at thejourneysi.org because it's a big deal and I won't talk anymore I'll just let Paul talk for me so verse 6 Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Therefore, it's a, it's a big deal in Scripture when we see a therefore. It links us back to the previous passage, which in verse 4 says, in, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, so therefore, the answer to the plausible argument is, walk in Jesus the same way you received him. That's Jesus plus Nothing. And I'm not going if to, I, if I go too deep in this, I'm going to take away from Jordan next week. So I, I promised him that I wouldn't dive too deep into it. Because verse 6 and 7 then sets up 8 through 23. And yeah, so I'm just going to verse 15. So washed in the faith, just as you were taught. What Paul recognizes is that they've heard the gospel, but now as they live their life, they need to hear it again it's It's a per- particularly like pressing need when you've got doubts when you've got people that are that are really crafty with their language like uh like when people start to try and dismiss Paul like the the liberals I don't know how the liberal theologians um, when they start to dismiss Paul, they're like, well Paul was just so he was affected by what what went around him, his culture and this or that, and it's like but that Paul roots everything he does back in creation. You can't, you can't blame the culture on creation. And they'll try and dismiss Paul, and they'll say, well, we only need to listen to the words of Jesus in the Gospels. And they'll try and reduce the whole Bible down to the Gospels. And what they don't know is like, dude, G- Jesus didn't write the Gospels either. So these arguments that we see, and they're still alive in our day, obviously, we see Paul then turns back and says, hold on, hold on, hold on. You need the gospel again. And he says, so walk in him, rooted, past tense. Built up in him and established in the face, established, past tense. Paul's telling them, this isn't something you've done. This is something God's done. And it reminds us of Jeremiah 17:8, which prophesies of, of this new, test, new uh, covenant. He said, "He is like a tree planted by water that sends out, sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit, man, that is glorious." So being built implies, take this as an encouragement this morning, being built, built up in him, implies that believers are still under construction. We're not yet a finished product. But when we realize we're not a finished product, we we don't go on to other things. We just return to the fact that Jesus purchased the sin we've now committed. So Paul's readers have not built themselves up. They have not... Rooted themselves or strengthened themselves. God has strengthened themselves. And then, just to add on top, abounding in thanksgiving. Like it's, it's so good to be thankful. Like, everything that God has done for them, now gives them a song to sing. Everything that God has done for them now starts the real, genuine worship in their hearts when we believe that. So verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. And the thing is, Paul doesn't make a light deal of what's going on, like what I'm tempted to do. Uh, uh, Just gloss over it. Paul says, pay attention to what's taking you captive. And I I would describe this as, like, the philosophers in that. um, In college, we had, like, when you first get to college, there's, like, all these signs up that will tell you, like, there's a free lunch here, there's a free lunch there, um, pizza party. And then when when you get to these things, like, you then realize, like, man, there are no free lunches. You know what I mean? Like... You've got to sit through like a 30-minute spiel, and you're like, "Man, I don't hear. I don't want to hear anything you got to say. Like this is, you know, or or they're like, take this, take this test, and you'll get a free flashlight. And like, that you, you take the test, and then they want to counsel you on something afterward. And you're like, "Man, I just want the flashlight. Like, that's the only reason I took the test." But Paul says that the philosophers are like that. Like, they say Jesus gives you the real free lunch. But the philosophers man they, their lunch really ain't free like it, it leads you down roads that you don't want to go down you, if you ever notice like the more you talk about self-esteem the harder it is to keep your self-esteem if you ever notice like the more we as a society talk about mental health the worse mental health gets like I, I mean I, I, and I recognize like Drugs for mental health are a common grace by God and they're a good thing. Don't get off your drugs for mental health if you are. But what I'm saying is, like, sometimes the anxiousness that that we all feel, like, man, like that, it's really just unbelief. Like the, the deceit of just be a good person. Or someone who might say, man, this is just who I am. Yeah, you are a sinner. So in direct contrast to this philosophy and empty deceit, Paul gives the gospel. See it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Jesus plus nothing. So in contrast, where the philosophy deceives people, the gospel is true and reliable. Where the philosophy is empty and devoid of any value, the gospel is powerful and transforming. And in verse nine, for in him the most common way that the New Testament describes our union with Christ for those who have been united with him by faith by faith, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I mean that was a big deal. The first church ecumenical council, the Council of Nicaea, had to had to throw out some heretics because they were saying, "Yeah, but maybe Jesus like wasn't fully God. Maybe he was like more man or this or that." And just listen to Paul: the full deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. So what fills him, the Holy Spirit, now fills you. So this is, this is the question that we kind of, in this passage, we start to come against. The question is, do we have all we need in life and godliness in Jesus Christ? And I think the answer, you know, is yes. Because what we have is the one who is the head of all rule and authority. As we continue, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So re- receiving Christ is just Jesus. And walking with Christ is still just Jesus. Jesus. Man, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better, deeper, or more spiritual than knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. Knowing that we have all we need in Jesus. And everyone outside the church is going to tell you you need more than Jesus. Sometimes in the church, too. Knowing that Christ is God, and God is ours, we are His, we are in Him, He is in us, That sounds kind of confusing, but it's pretty, it's it's really not that hard. Like, he's got a tattoo on it. Like, just go get your own tattoo. It says, I'm Jesus's. And so when he shows up with the Lord of Lords, like I'm with him. So we are his and we must turn a deaf ear to any teaching that suggests otherwise. And uh, here's, here's a really good point, I think, that comes up. Uh, theologian Edward Schweizer Sh- points. He says, it needs to be said, this right here, needs to be said today as well to a world no longer convinced in any sense of the absolute and undisputed superiority of the church, but, but a, a world who is convinced rather of the superior position of every other kind of power or socialism. He didn't say socialism. I threw that in there. Yeah, but, but that's, it, I'm taking away from Jordan, but that's what socialism does is it gives authority to state. When we say, no, we, we are free men and God has the authority, not the state. It needs to be said to a world which heaven is locked away, a world in danger of becoming heavenless. And it needs to be said with complete assurance. Man, that just as Jesus was filled with the full deity of God like he has now sent his Holy Spirit to dwell richly in you and if we look at like a cup like if we were to say what's full like what what's full full would be like up to here right my wife thinks full is right here and I'm like babe like fill the thing up so I can drink more water but but full is here and when it's full when a glass is full what room is there for anything else? There isn't room for anything else. In fact, there's actually, you know, that science that, you know, it can still bubble over a little bit. So that might be the full full. But, but like, the thing Paul's saying, like, it's, it's, it's not that, like, maybe it might not be something new we've heard. It's, it's believe it. Receive it. Paul's counterpunch to philosophy and deceit isn't less doctrine. It's more doctrine. And in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we just went through a, last year a thing in, in corinthians a sermon series in corinthians and we remember that the corinthians were puffed up the, the opposite's kind of true of the the colossians like the colossians are a little deflated like oh man we don't have enough in the gospel to go preaching this thing and teaching them to live according to christ and in godliness and paul says yeah you do bro And the thing is, like, when, when I'm saying, like, just Jesus, like, I'm I actually, like, in, I'm repenting this week when I'm saying, like, man, like, if I had to go back to, like, a worship service that, you know, listening to music that made my ears bleed, would Jesus be enough? Like, dude, that was a hard question to answer. Like, man, whew. Not everybody sings as pretty as Nick does, but Man, like that was a really hard question to answer. And I'm tempted to say, I wouldn't answer that question in the way I want to answer that question. But, if in him, I was circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, so I'm not going to go into what a circumcision is. But what Paul's saying is, just as a piece of flesh was torn away, your old self was also torn away, and now Jesus leaves your new self. So against the false teachers, of, they advocate rules and, and practices as a means of subduing the flesh, or, or like the Gnostics, they'll say, well, you need to get this knowledge, and I'll just keep telling you this knowledge, um, which is still alive today. Like, check out YouTube. Paul asserts that Christians have already experienced the stripping off of the body of flesh in their union with Christ. And they actually don't need other practice or obedience. They don't need another rule. They need the basic gospel message that Christ died for your sins, Christ was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And that's enough. So I think it's it's not comparing um, circumcision, which was a sign of the old covenant, and that's how that's how we believe in believers' baptism here. And what that means is is when you repent of your sins and you believe that Jesus is is your Savior um, in life, like anyone who says Jesus is Lord, like that's in the power of the Spirit. Uh, we believe then in obedience you follow in baptism. And Paul is actually making the thing saying like. This baptism's a really big deal because in that, you experientially go through the, the death, burial, and resurrection as well. And we need that, like, as people, don't we? Because how many times, like, in your life have you heard someone say, and I'm the one who just says it, like, okay, you said that, like, can you show me? And maybe that's not you, but uh, how often, like, is it hard to, like, you can see something on paper, but then to know it, it helps to then write it out or to, I don't know, look at, like I can tell you how big the universe is and then I can show you a picture of the Hubble uh, deal, whatever, NASA, you know, you know what I mean? Hubble, the, the yeah, the tele, whatever, it's out there in space and it's taking a picture of all of space and like it doesn't even capture all of space. Like, dang, that's really, you know, it'll, it'll show like earth and it's a pinprick. So what Paul's pointing to is there is a an experiential purpose in baptism. And What it is, is having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Through faith is the difference between um, the sprinkling that of babies that happens, um, and then what we believe in, in believer's baptism. And I'm still a brother with a guy who, who sprinkles his babies. But what I would point him to is, is, like, do babies show faith? Because you can you can make it you can make that out. Because what the the argument is 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 that you know in, in the first generation of believers, the baptisms are the same. But in the second generation, now as a family, the sign of the covenant, circumcision now carries forward into the sprinkling. And that, that glosses over a lot of things where you're like, okay, okay, okay. But this verse in the Bible, right here, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And I would say if you have not exercised faith, and there's no reason, like, baptism does nothing for you. But if you have, it has a purpose, it has a point. And it's even enough for Paul to reference back in Romans 6 and say, do you not remember your baptism? So what we're displaying in baptism is to ourselves, to the church, and to those around, that I have been crucified with Christ. That the old me has died, and the new me has risen with Christ by the powerful working of God. Not something I've done, but something God has done in me. And you, and then carrying on in verse 13, and you who were dead, And the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive with him Having forgiven us all of our trespasses So it goes on What does baptism show? Baptism shows our union with Christ But it also shows that we have been Here's another doctrinal word Regenerated It also shows That God has made you a new person When Nicodemus, if anyone's watching The Chosen, I think they display a really good, Nicodemus really well, like he's this high, well-thought-of guy in his community, and uh, he comes to Jesus in the wee hours of the night in John 3 and asks, what must I do to be born again? Or what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, be born again. And that's the doctrine that we're talking of here. It doesn't matter if you, if you were saved, if you were grafted into Christ when you were six years old. It doesn't matter if you were 60 years old. It matters that you were dead. Like, you were dead dead. This whole picture that, that we are swimming in the water and Jesus throws us a life raft, like it's... It, it, it's dead. Like you're, you're at the bottom of the sea and Jesus throws an anchor down and pulls you up. And you're like, oh. And it says, this is what Jesus has done in you. And it doesn't matter if you're, your salvation experience, your story is that man, I think just one day like I got realized like, I love Jesus. Somewhere you were made alive. Hallelujah. Praise God. You don't have to have it all figured out. That's that's amazing. But you were made alive having been forgiven of all your trespasses. And this is important because as we walk, as we walk now with Jesus, we have to know that all of our trespasses are forgiven. We have to know that because there's a little legalist hiding in us and you know that. Like every every one of us like our flesh will want to say I deserve grace but you deserve law. So having been forgiven of all our trespasses, we don't like go on to we return to the gospel. We remember that we've been forgiven. And he's explaining this out. So we've, we've been buried, raised, and united with Christ. And we were dead, but now we're alive. And by that, he's forgiven us. And by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So if you're in a courtroom, and the judge like, looks at a guilty defendant and says, ah, Not guilty. Like we would be an uproar. We would be livid. But in our legal union with Christ, what happens then is I want you to imagine like a a, uh, a piece of notebook paper and a line drawn down the middle and every transgression that you've ever done is on this side. That'll be my left, your right. And then every transgression that Jesus ever did was on the right side, which is none. And this would be a long list. And so what happens then is is the, the paper gets broken in half and what was your identity as a lawbreaker now was nailed to the cross. Because at the cross, what was at the top of Jesus's cross, King of Jews? What he was convicted of. And what he really was convicted of by God was your sin. <laughs> I want to I say holy cuss words. Like, that's some freaking good news. the ones you committed, the ones you're committing, and the ones you've, already, like you've yet to commit, like they are nailed to the cross. I think uh, no one said it better than Horatio Spafford. He said, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And that's the thankfulness part that he was talking about earlier. Is this kind of stuff, it's someone who's been made alive. Like, it gives us a life of thankfulness. And really, the one of the biggest things is like, that the devil could do is like, not only try to convince us to do this or that or get worried on this theory or that theory but man to just become bored with what Paul just said and then Paul as he finishes so he he basically just reenacted the cross and put it into baptism and then he said at the end he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Which I had to look, I mean, I I have no idea what that might mean. Like we don't have a a parade of parties to to shame people with. Um, But the Romans in their triumphal parades, after they would defeat a country, they would bring in the leftover king, the defeated king and the soldiers and this is where, like, I guess the word parade makes a big deal because they would parade them around town and everyone would celebrate. So, Paul pulls out all the stops here and tries to make it as clear as he can that God has removed any claim from the spiritual powers that they might have over us. And he has done so clearly and publicly triumphing over them in Jesus. And so the question I have for you today, man, is will you just return to the gospel? Remember your baptism. If you haven't been baptized yet, we would love to dunk you. We would love for you to have that experiential representation of Jesus' being united with Jesus in his death Burial and resurrection. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that, that you are a conqueror, that you have conquered us, that, that when we feel lost like in like, like 2020, when we feel lost, uh, we know that, that you are still working in us, through us, you are for us. Thank you for giving us these words of scripture. Man, that, that the old me, man, it was, it was, it was dead in those waters. And that, that Spirit, that you have come to reside in us to bring us new life, and that you don't require us to get fanciful, but Spirit, you, are, you require us to return to the gospel, and you make it so easy. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is life. Jesus is enough. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name, amen.